All right, good evening. Why don't you open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. Continuing on where we left off uh, from last week, verse 10. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, as Mariel prayed, just your long-suffering, your patience, your kindness, Lord, your mercy and grace towards us. Lord, we thank you that As a loving father, you deal with us uh, in discipline, Lord, correcting us, rebuking us, chastising us, Lord, uh, because of your love for us, that you want us to walk with you, Lord. And I pray that as we study tonight, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. These are uh, heavy things that we look at tonight things that are relevant for us to know and understand as Christians living in the world we live in today, Lord. And I pray that we would, as the scriptures say, take heed to our spirits, Lord, that we would uh, take heed to what your spirit has to say to us tonight, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as we've been going through Malachi, we've been following the Lord as he's prophesying through Malachi to the people. And he's been asking these questions that, in one sense, he is kind of answering with their uh, questions and their their opposition to what he is doing and what he is saying. Um, and the people, remember, this is uh, around the time of Nehemiah that this is taking place. Um, uh, I believe, actually, 
at least at the time of Nehemiah or, or directly thereafter. Uh, the people had come back from bondage in Babylon, being taken away in captivity because of their sin, their idolatry. Um, and after having spent 70 years there, then being brought back to the land and beginning to rebuild, beginning to restore the temple and the walls of the city there. Um, and the Lord was bringing them back to that land, and yet the people... It, it, it was never going to be how it was with Solomon. Um, and yet the people, though they had been kind of cured of their penchant towards idolatry, they had come back and they began to do these same other things that had led them into idolatry in the first place. Um, and so the Lord, he's continuing to deal with them. And we've seen the beginning of chapter 2 um, and, and the last part of chapter 1, he's dealing with these priests um, and, and he continues on here when he's, when he's talking to them, and he says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? See, for, for Israel, God had established a covenant with them. He had set up a covenant with them uh, with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He had established a covenant with the people in the wilderness after they were rescued from Egypt with Moses. Um, he had covenants with them throughout their um, time as they were conquering uh, the promised land uh, and, and all of these covenants that the Lord had made with them. And they were all, of course, focused around the Lord and his faithfulness. But at the same time, the Lord warned them, if you do these things, if you don't do these things, then you're going to uh, have uh, a loss of blessing. You're going to have. You're not going to prosper in the land. You're not going to dwell there. Um, and that's what they had just come out of experiencing: is the Lord removing them from the land because they didn't keep uh, the Sabbath years uh, and taking them away for that purpose. Um, and with these covenants, there was, of course, God calling them to be faithful to him. And there was the importance of them personally, individually walking right before the Lord. That's why you have the, the commandments and the law of God, as you see, they don't just deal with community as a whole. They deal with the individual and the heart is, is how God deals with people. And so, but in the people, if they would not keep the commandment, if they would not hold to the covenant, if they would not walk rightly before the Lord, it would not just affect them individually. It would affect them as a whole as well. And that's what we see. Uh, they're profaning the covenant of the fathers, and in doing that, they're dealing treacherously with one another. And, they're, and on the flip side of that, you could say they're in their dealing treacherously with one another, they're profaning God's covenant. Because what did God say? What are the two most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love one another. That's part of the commandments that God has, right? It is that they were to, uh, they were to um, have consideration towards one another. They were to have uh, brotherly love towards each other. And God had called them to that. And they were... Uh, dealing with each other treacherously, being unfaithful. We have the same thing in the church, right? It says there's one Father and one God, 
For us, we have the same thing. Ephesians 4, 4, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And we as Christians, we are of the church, one body, and and we are called to love one another. And when we... We looked at this when we looked at relationships, when we looked at love um, uh, in in the recent past here on Wednesday nights. And when we do not deal rightly with our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're sinning against him. We're not demonstrating that we're in him, walking in the light. We're We're not being filled with the spirit. We're not being uh, of the truth when we do that. It's a detriment. Our individual personal sins, they, they don't just affect us. They affect the whole, the church, the body. And that's the same thing that uh, the Lord was dealing with with uh, the priests of Israel. Then he goes on, verse 11, it says, Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination uh, has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution. To deal treacherously, it means to deal deceitfully, to be unfaithful, to not honor an agreement. Um, In the Septuagint, it means to desert, which Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It says to leave in the lurch or to abandon. Um, And so that's the whole picture is to be unfaithful, to be deceitful, to not honor an agreement. Um, to leave someone in the lurch, to kind of abandon them, to desert them. It says, you've done this with one another by profaning the covenant. Judah has dealt treacherously. They've been unfaithful, and an abomination has been committed in Israel because they profaned the Lord's holy institution. The nature of their unfaithfulness is... Adultery and idolatry. The, the scriptures teach that uh, and equate idolatry as adultery against the Lord. The Lord talks about having Israel like a bride. We know the church, of course, being the bride of Christ. But we see God dealing with Israel, with people in general, but with Israel specifically as though they are his bride. Um, as his wife, and he deals with them in this language of adultery, unfaithfulness, um, in in the uh, marriage and wedding, and they had done that. They had, uh, in essence, committed spiritual adultery against the Lord before, and they were on the verge or continuing to do that here now uh, after they had come back. Uh, It says, For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now, no, it doesn't say that they went after that foreign god, but they were on the steps of it. 
they were they had opened the door back up to it. Remember when you look at Samson's life, one of the judges, Samson. You know, we know the story, of course, Samson being strong and having lived as a Nazarite from his youth, having the oath of uh, not cutting his hair, not touching women, not touching wine, not touching dead things, this, all these things. And the Lord gave him supernatural strength and used him to, to defend Israel in the uh, bondage under the Philistines uh, in the book of Judges. Uh, and we remember him as, oh, yeah, well, Delilah cut his hair off and then he lost all his strength. And kind of that's the Sunday school, uh, you know, understanding of the story of Samson and Delilah. But when you read it, you see it wasn't the cutting of the hair that was what started with Samson. What started with Samson was him going after Philistine women, What was him touching dead things like he was not supposed to, was him going step by step by step, inching closer and closer and closer to breaking these vows that the Lord had called him to from birth and, and, and disobeying the Lord and opening the door up to sin for him. And then when he fell asleep on the couch, sin, Delilah caught him, cut his hair, and the Lord took his strength away and he ended up in bondage, remember? Um, and, and that's how sin works in our life. We find ourselves sometimes in a place where uh, we look around and we say, how did I get here? How did I let these things happen in my life? Uh, returning to old sins or getting uh, to such a far point in your walk with the Lord that you, you feel like you've done, you've gone too far. Getting to those places. And if we're not honest, we say, God, how did I get here? I was tricked or I was fooled or, or uh, I, you know, it was just this thing that happened in my life. But when we're honest, we look at our hearts and we look back at our lives. We can see there are little things where we open the door and we open another door and we open another door. And sin uh, has that snowball effect in our lives to where we, we may look. And for us, it seems like all of a sudden we're way out in left field. And we're not walking with the Lord anymore. Maybe we've done something that's devastating to our marriage or to our children or in our workplace or in the church or even just something the Lord knows. Um, and that's between us and the Lord. And we can find ourselves in that place. It's never just a all of a sudden there's a switch and all, you're doing all these wicked things and being disobedient to the Lord. It's always a progression. And that's why we have the warnings throughout the scriptures to take heed, pay attention, right? And 1 Corinthians says, if anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. That's supposed to be the attitude we have as Christians is to never count ourselves to have attained to righteousness, but that there's always that possibility of sliding back. I love Pastor Danny shares what his pastor talked about all the time. Christian life is climbing up a greased pole. If you're not moving up, you're sliding down, right? And that's true. If we're not moving forward with the Lord, uh, then we're backsliding. We're moving backwards. But there's that progression, and we need to be so very careful. So they were on the verge here. They had profaned God's holy institution, which he loves, which is marriage. And rather than obeying God in marriage... And being devoted to him, they married the daughter of a foreign god, 
So there's two things. There was actual physical, real-life marriage to foreign women. If you read the last part of the book of Nehemiah, you see what was taking place. Rather than being faithful to the wives that they had, rather than being faithful to what the Lord had called them to and and marrying uh, Israelites, they were going after, some of them were putting away their wives that they had already been married in divorce and then going taking younger wives from these Philistine, uh, from Ashdod or from Ammon, which is uh, Moab, and, and going after these other women who they weren't followers of the Lord. And they were, uh, again, on the verge of being led into idolatry again. And in the book of Nehemiah, you see that's that picture, if you know Nehemiah, where he's walking about and he's telling them to put away these foreign wives. And he's slapping them in the face and pulling out their beards and he's chastising them because it's like they, they did all these things for the Lord. They rebuilt the wall. They defended the city as they were doing it. They got gathered together and they were able to rebuild it in this quick time frame. And all of a sudden they're like sitting back at rest, leisure feeling like the job's over, and now they're going and basically uh, whoring after other gods and these other women um, rather than being faithful uh, to their own wives and to the Lord himself. They had profaned the Lord's holy institution, uh, which he loves. We are in a covenant with God, and we have responsibility to one another. And... uh, to uh, God and to one another as the church. Galatians 5, 9, it says a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? One little bit. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We have responsibility to one another. We have a responsibility in our marriages. We have responsibility to our children. We have a responsibility uh, to the people around us. And we are called to live holy and righteous lives, to not have those doors open. That's why Paul talks about Christian liberty so much in the New Testament, where he talks about that we we are free in Christ to no longer be in bondage under the law to where we feel or we, we believe that every little thing that we do, we're breaking God's commandments and now we've sinned and, our, and everything's over and done with and we have to sacrifice. We're not under that anymore. We're free in Christ, but at the same time, we are now called to be willful servants of the Lord, where we don't use our liberty and our freedom for sin, for flesh, or um, use our liberty and freedom in such a way to where we're stumbling our brothers and sisters around us. We're to have the doors closed on those things so that we're not allowing any of that in. Their sin in Israel was adultery. That word abomination is idolatry. It's a marriage to a foreign god. Uh, And here we see in verse 12, Malachi calls out and he says, May the Lord cut off 
from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So in Israel, they were continuing to bring offerings to the Lord. They were trying to please him. They were trying to do their, you know, religious duties. Um, And yet they were going after these foreign women, these uh, daughters of foreign gods, and uh, they were in, in danger of being cut off. Um, and it says the man who does this being awake and aware, knowing better, right? We all as Christians, if we place our faith in the Lord, we have the spirit of God in us, testifying in us that things are right and things are wrong. We have the word of God showing us the way that we should go. Um, we have no excuse to go back to the sins that we once walked in. We have no excuse to have those doors open. And if we continue to do that, and if we continue to sin, if we go to that place and we're unrepentant, and yet we're trying to kind of continue our our lives as Christians where we're praying, we're going to church, we're acting like it's all good, God doesn't honor that. He's not pleased in that. We looked at that a few weeks ago. He's not pleased in those things. He wants us to live righteous, holy lives by the power of the Spirit and in repentance of our sin, true godly sorrow over our sin. And in that godly sorrow, then repenting, uh, turning away from it and walking forward with him. The Lord's holy institution. Uh, This is an important thing for us as a church that we need to look at. What is the Lord's holy institution? It's marriage. It's the first institution that God established in the scriptures, right? Turn over to Genesis 2. You guys know it, but look at Genesis 2. Verse 18, God had created the earth and everything in it. And he created Adam, placed him in the garden, brought him all these animals, right? And he began to name the animals. And verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. You know, on a side note, when you read in the creation account, you see God creates and he sees everything that he made and he says that it was good. He says that it was good. And the first time he says it's not good is when he sees man by himself, right? says it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make him a helper comparable or or a help meet, I believe, as the old King James says. Um, Someone who is uh, compatible, comparable, uh, and and is a helper to him. Verse 18 there. Jump over to verse 20. Uh, And it says, so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And the Lord has established this as an institution. This is not just God saying this is a relationship. It's not just something that happened. God was directly involved in creating this. He saw Adam alone and needing a helper comparable to him, created Eve, gave her to him, and they were uh, bone of each other's bones, flesh of each other's flesh. She was taken out of man. And then we have that verse 24. Therefore, that's how we know God is establishing it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's what God has instituted. It's from the very beginning. Each man and each woman in marriage is designed by God to be comparable to each other to help each other out, to be what uh, the strength for the weaknesses of one and, and vice versa, to be someone who comes alongside and helps, to be uh, a companion, to be a lover, to be uh, uh, the best friend, to be someone that the Lord has called to uh, rebuke sometimes, to encourage uh, to to hold accountable all of those things God has designed in marriage and instituted marriage to have that relationship. Um, there's no other way to define it either. That's what Satan has tried to do from the very beginning is to change marriage, to twist it into something other than what God designed it to be. You cannot define it any other way. God created it. He established it. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and they become one flesh, right? That is marriage. This is all the things that we see, um, this relationship, how God defines it. Um, number one, it's not good for man to be alone. That's what God sees there, and so he creates Eve. Uh, he needs a helper comparable to him. Man's, you know, not good enough to do it on his own. God has the plan, of course. What's the ultimate plan through Adam and Eve is to bring about the salvation of the world in Jesus Christ, right? Through offspring. God made them male and female. It's not male, male, female, female, or some other thing that is the popular thing to call yourself nowadays, but it's male and female, right? Uh, Mark 10 verse 6 talks about that and quotes this. Jesus is talking there. A man shall leave his father and mother. That's an important thing, an important truth that I think gets missed a lot as Christians uh, is a man leaving his father and mother. What that means is you're no longer under your parents' household. You're not relying on them for everything that you have. You are now uh, married to your wife, and she is your life. She's your one flesh, right? She is part of you and that relationship is besides your relationship with the Lord is the most important relationship that you have as a husband as a wife and, and uh, there are so many marriages that are on the rocks all the time because and it's not necessarily just the man sometimes it's a woman but there's not that leaving the old life leaving the family leaving those relationships and joining to the wife there's this going back. There's this um, considering others before the relationship that God has called you to. Um, and that's so important for us to understand. Um, 
is a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, it says. They shall become one flesh, sexual relations, um, uh, giving themselves to each other in physical, intimate relationship, to, to have that um, beautiful uh, act of love that takes place in the marriage bed, becoming one flesh. And God has joined them together. It's not just man doing this. It's God joining a man and woman in marriage. It's a covenant. We see that again in Malachi. What else? How else does God define marriage? He says anything uh, that is sexual relations outside of the marriage bed is sin. Marriage bed is to be holy, right? Adultery. We know adultery. Exodus 20, verse 14, the commandments, right? You should not commit adultery. But the other side of it is fornication. Fornication in the scriptures is not just adultery. It's not just going off and having sex with someone else who's married as you're married. But it's any sexual act outside of the marriage bed is fornication. Uh, and that, that includes, as we'll see in a little bit, as Jesus talks about those sexual sins of the mind as well. The things we view, the things we think as well, the, that fornication, sexual sin, sexual immorality, and that sin, it violates the covenant that God has established in marriage. We see uh, because God has established it that man should not separate a marriage. We, as we read here, God hates divorce. Man should not separate marriage. And by man, I don't just mean a man. I mean humankind in general, right? Uh, should not separate marriage. God's established it. We see, um, turn with me from there, go to Matthew 5. God hates divorce. That's a difficult thing in our culture nowadays. You can get divorced for pretty much anything. No-fault divorce has been a thing for a long time now. Um, and uh, I'll ha- I have some statistics here I'll read in a little bit on divorce. Um, it's very sad. But what is sad as well is that it is very prevalent within Christian church as well, is divorce. And of all people, Christians should have the highest uh place the highest value on marriage of anyone else because we have the scriptures. We have the understanding of what God has called us to. And marriage is the perfect, beautiful picture of Christ's love for the church. Um, So Matthew 5, verse 31, it says, Furthermore, this is Jesus speaking, It has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That was the traditions that the Pharisees and the religious leaders had said. If you want to divorce your wife, just give her a certificate of divorce. Just do that thing, and she's divorced. We've heard it, of course, the stories there that at that time, they could divorce their wife over them making their dinner wrong, right? And just as long as they wrote that certificate and put her away, they're good. But Jesus, he says, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. These are hard things. We see the only reason God allows for divorce here is sexual immorality. That's what we see in the scriptures. Uh, Keep your finger there in Matthew 5. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
verse 13. Sexual immorality is sin. Verse 13, it says, Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. I can't get any more clear than that. And the Lord is for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power as we're Christians. Then he goes on to say, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And then he says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're called to have that purity as Christians, to walk in that sexual immorality. It's a sin against the Lord, and as we see here, it's a sin against the body, um, our bodies. And and as uh, a person is joined to another person in that sexual act, you're becoming, uh, in essence, that what God says marriage is for is becoming one flesh, becoming one body with that that harlot or that that person um, that you're committing that sexual act with. Uh, now, again, uh, let me read Mark seven twenty one. It says, "For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within." And defile a man. Jesus, you know, he said, you've heard it said, if anyone commits adultery, right, uh, that, or you shall not commit adultery. Uh, but then God, Jesus says, but I tell you that if anyone looks on a woman with lust in his heart, has committed adultery already, right? God looks at the heart. Paul, he's writing here and he says um, that we're not to commit sexual immorality. Our bodies are for the Lord. Jesus, as he's talking about sin, he says sin isn't something that comes from the outside and affects you to then commit sin. It comes from in your heart. And it includes evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and then all these other things as well. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Uh, God is calling us to live holy lives. One of the biggest issues that we have in our culture and society, divorce is a big thing, and it affects a lot of people. But I would say to you, the bigger issue out there is pornography. Uh, Because pornography is like the gateway drug to all of these other things. All the stuff everybody throws their hands up and gets mad about that's happening in our culture and our society. Pedophilia, uh, abortion, the things that uh, have to do with the LGBTQ+, plus, all that other stuff that's going on. All of those things uh, have direct links to pornography. 
Uh, pornography opens the door in a person's heart and mind for sexual perversion. It's uh, like any drug or addiction. You have a little bit and you want more and you want different and more. And then you go and you look for worse and worse. That's what we see. Read Romans 1 and 2, right? Talks about all of that. Uh, we see that. It, it opens the door for all of those sexual sins as well. Um, and it is a huge issue in our culture and society and in our church. Let me read this. So on divorce, 50% of marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. One in two. Half of the marriages in the U.S. end in divorce. 28%, over a quarter of those are because of unfaithfulness, infidelity. The average age for couples to go through their first divorce is 30 years old. 60% of second marriages, so getting married again, end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. Divorce, God hates divorce. Pornography, there are, uh, this is from 2020. There are over 40 million Americans who visit porn sites regularly. Over 40 million. 47% of families in the U.S. report that pornography is a problem in their home. That's almost half of the homes. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. Average. That means younger is exposed as well. And this is sad. 94% of children will be exposed to pornography by the age of 14. 94%. Sorry. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic sites. Leading cause of divorce. Pornography. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. And if you had watched the news, you know 2020, this is when that was, 2021, 2020, 2021, 2022, because of the lockdowns and everything else, that skyrocketed. So these are not even touching what's happening now. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. 76% of young Christian adults, not just men, young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, actively search for porn. 59% of pastors say that married men seek their help regularly for porn use. 15, over half of pastors 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Once per month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they have never watched porn. That means 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. 69% of pastors say porn has adversely impacted the church. This is the church, right? It's worse in the world, but it's in the church as well and not much better. Guys, that's the open door. That is the open door. That's what Judah was doing in Malachi as they were going after women that were not supposed to be their wives. 
They were setting aside the wives that God had given them. They were setting aside the covenant that God had established for them. They were profaning God's holy institution of marriage and going after them. When we view porn, it's the same thing. It's that open door. That's what the New Testament was talking about, joining yourself to the body of a harlot. And that stays with you for the rest of your life. The Lord, there's healing in the Lord. There's, if you repent and you've turned from those things, there can be healing. There can be victory. The Lord can have you walking in victory and newness of life. But just like there are long-term rest of your life effects of being addicted to drugs, there are the same sorts of things when it comes to what happens in your mind and your heart and your spirit, the sin against the body. In, in dealing with these things. It is an open door. Now, you may be sitting here and say, I don't, I don't struggle with that. That's not an issue for me. There's somebody around you. There are people in this room, right? There are people in your family, most likely people in your home, that this is an issue with. And you need to, number one, guard your heart. Take heed to your spirit. You need, you need to take heed. If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Set those boundaries, right? If pornography is an issue in your home, cut off the Internet. It sounds like craziness, but do it. Get rid of your smartphone, right? Make it a rule. The computer stays in the middle of the living room and is only on when somebody else is there, right? Don't go places by yourself where you have easy access, uh, there, there are so many things. There's practical things you can do to shut that door. Flee sexual immorality, right? What does the Bible say? Resist the devil and he'll flee. But going back and looking at Cain, right? Remember Cain? He went to the Lord. He, uh, Abel had offered his offering and the Lord was pleasing it. Cain offers his offering. But because of his heart, because of his lack of faith, uh, the Lord didn't accept his offering. And the you know, we see the same thing here, the Lord not accepting offering. We have the same thing if we have sin in our hearts and our lives. The Lord doesn't accept our offerings. And we come to the Lord, and, and the Lord, what did he say to Cain? Behold, sin is at the door, right? Uh, and its desire is for you, but you should overcome it. You should have power over it, have victory over it, right? And that's what we have. We have sin at the door. And we, the Lord has given us the strength, the power through the Holy Spirit to resist it. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10. I've been quoting it all night. Chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. The stats are there. Pornography is common to man. That temptation, right, and the things that come with it, it's common to man. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. It's not you. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able And here's the key. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
There's always a way out. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's always pricking your conscience there unless you've, your conscience is seared, right? God forbid you're in that place. But he's there telling you, you shouldn't do this. This is opening a door. You're going down that road. You're going back to that place again. Don't do that. And you have a choice. And I think, again, going back to what we talked about from the very beginning tonight, it's never where we find ourselves all of a sudden having done these things and it just happened like that. It's always a progression. We need to slam the door shut. Brothers, sisters, these temptations, they are there, but God has provided a way out. He is faithful. If you place your faith in him, trust in him, take him at his word that uh, if anyone confesses his sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that his Holy Spirit is the power that we need to walk and live righteous lives. Trust him. When we stand there after having given in to temptation and we say, God, why do you allow this to happen? We, it's because we had an unfaithful heart in the very beginning where we did not consider and listen and be obedient to the word of God and what he'd said and told us to that these things are sin and it's an open door for us to go out there. But we need to resist. We need to stop. We need to turn away. We need to walk away. You know the story of Joseph, right? Joseph, the handsome man there as a servant in Potiphar's house. And it, Potiphar's wife is seeing Joseph and, and he's a good looking dude. And uh, she wants to have him as a sexual partner. And she's going after him and going after him and going after him. And he's resisting and resisting. And finally, she grabs hold of him and is, in essence, trying to force him. And he he knows that he if he does that, he's not only sinning against his master, but he's sinning against the Lord. And so he flees. And he lets that garment that he's wearing fly off and he's out the door, Right. That's what we as believers need to do when it comes to these things, right? Hate even the garment defiled by the flesh, right? That means we hate sin. We hate all of these things, you know? Maybe it's not pornography. Maybe it's those R-rated movies that you watch where there's, you know, nudity on it or there's sex scenes or there's TV shows where they have crass and filthy things coming out of their mouth that are the open door for the playground of the mind, right? The unfaithfulness. What has God told us? Job 31.1, Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look at a woman, at a young woman? He says, make a covenant with your eyes. Colossians 3.5, put to death your members on the earth. Reckon them dead. Don't give room for those pleasures, for those lusts. If it means cutting off things that are normal, natural for everybody else to do, Again, your smartphone, your video games, the time on social media, whatever else it is, the movies that you're watching, the music you're listening to, put to death those things, those open doors, those little things that trip you up. Malachi 2.15, we saw it. Take heed to your spirit, your conscience from God, and the spirit of your wife if you're married. Turn to Proverbs 5.
young men, young women here, you should read the first several chapters of Proverbs. Um, meditate on it. Spend some time in it. It's, it's talking about wisdom. It's talking about foolishness. It's talking about good, practical things. But these first several chapters, they're all about the struggle of being a young person, a young man specifically, and the lusts of the flesh and the enticements of pleasing the flesh and sexual sin and all of these things. Um, and they're a good reminder, and not just for young men, um, I think for all of us. But uh, Proverbs 5, verse 15. Here's the practical exhortation. Drink water from your own cistern. Don't go after something else that's not yours, right? Don't go after the pornography. Don't go after a, another woman or another man. It says, and running water from your own well. It says, should your fountains be dispersed abroad? Okay, not to be too graphic, but it's graphic. Streams of water in the streets, right? Should that, all of that be out there? And I'm speaking, this is from context here. You maybe say this is just talking about water. It's not. It's talking about sexual sin. It says, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Husbands, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Rejoice with her. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Love your wife. Love what God has given to you. Husbands, why do you go after pictures on a screen? an experience, these other things. Maybe it's flirtation with somebody at work, all these other things, these open doors. If you're married, God has given you the most beautiful, perfect gift that he wants to give you and your wife. And he's given her to you as a blessing to you. And there is blessing if you rejoice with her, if you uh, remember the covenant that God has established between you and her. And you consider her in this way. Verse 20, look at it. It says, for why should you, my son, be enraptured with or by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? And here's if you don't listen. It says, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. You may think the sins are personal, secret, private, but God sees. And he ponders all his paths, it says. And this is the other side of it. It says, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. It says, he shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. You may not see it now, but there is death in going after sexual immorality, after these things. The Septuagint, it translates that verse there. It says, such a man dies with the uninstructed. And he is cast forth from the abundance of his own substance and has perished through folly. So you're dying, you're going off just as if you were never taught, even though you know better, even though God has called you to live righteously. The Lord sees your sin will entrap you. Um, and, and the end result is death. It may not be physical death, but it's spiritual death for sure. Right? And, and there are so many things that we need to be aware of. 
um, to pay attention to, to be careful about. And parents, your children, they are in so much danger right now because of the culture we live in, the society we live in. I'm telling you, uh, you may not like it at all what I say. Your teenagers should not have their own phone. I, I firmly believe that. They should not have their own phone. It is an open door. I don't care how many controls you put on there. There is a way for them to use that for sin. Okay. Um, now, that's coming from me. That's my opinion. Okay. But there, you've heard it. Where there's a will, there's a way. And those things, man, they are like portals to hell, honestly, when it comes to kids. Um, it, it, it is such a danger. Um, but it's not just that. It's, you know. The stuff they see and hear at the schools, uh, again, the TV shows, the movies that they're watching, the music that they're listening to. I mean, you cannot, you can't even scroll through looking at uh, music, you know, secular music album covers without seeing something that you shouldn't be seeing out there. When it comes, it's everywhere, it's everywhere, and that's because Satan is attacking what God has established. God has established marriage to be a holy institution. God has established marriage to produce godly offspring. And anything he can do to take people out, he's going to do it. And that sin, sexual sin, pornography, all of these other things, that is that subtle, easy way that Satan attacks us and gets into our lives and our homes because it feels good, because it appeals to our flesh and it does something in your mind and your brain where where again you want more it's like a drug it's an addiction that you have uh, and, and it continues and it continues so we are we need to as parents as grandparents as brothers and sisters in the lord we need to be praying for one another we need to be open and honest with one another now it doesn't mean you go out and blab out there yeah i looked at porn again today right but it means that when you sin when you fall you confess to the lord you repent you have a brother or sister you can trust that you go to for accountability and you talk to them and you ask them to pray for you right but most importantly you slam that door shut and you walk away you flee sexual immorality you flee those things the Lord has given you a way out, it, um, and, and it's there in every temptation that we experience is a way out. Um, husbands, again, we're called to dwell with our wives with understanding, the scriptures say. Dwell with them with understanding. We're to give honor to our wives as the care of a precious possession. We're to consider her as an heir of the Lord as we are. Treachery or unfaithfulness towards our wives is unfaithfulness towards him. And 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, do these things that your prayers may not be hindered, right? Again, it goes back to what Malachi talks about. If we're walking in those things, our prayers are hindered. Our relationship with the Lord is hindered. Uh, I'm running out of time here, but again, we talked about it. God hates divorce. It says... Um, in uh, verse 16, for it covers one's garment with violence. 
uh, in the Septuagint, it says, But if thou shouldst hate thy wife and put her away, saith the Lord God of Israel, then ungodliness shall cover thy thoughts. That's what it says. So, And I think both is true. Divorce is, it damages everything around it. We see, I, I don't even need to explain that. I think all of us have, with somebody close to us, maybe it's you personally, maybe it's your parents or, or your kids, your, your adult children or whatever, you see that divorce is a violent, ugly, bitter thing. And it covers, fills your thoughts with ungodliness, it says in the Septuagint there. Um, it covers your garments with violence. Think of this. God has brought you together in marriage. He's created you as one flesh. You're one body. You tear that body apart, what happens? It's blood and gore, right? And that's the picture of what happens with divorce. Covers one's garments with violence. Men and women, we need to consider that. We need to not take the easy road out in our marriages, in our relationships. We need to love one another we need to have patience with one another, but we need to have honesty and integrity towards one another as well, right? God loves us. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He uh, deals with us like he's dealing with the Israelites. He didn't just walk away and say, I'm done. I just brought them back. I just set them free from Babylon. They're back in the land. I I'm giving them back their temple and their city, and now they're going back to do this thing again. I'm done. God doesn't do that, right? He talks to them. He deals with them. He encourages them. He exhorts them and rebukes them. And he, he deals with them. And, and we need to do that. We need to be willing to do that in our marriages. Now, again, Jesus, he says, unless someone commits sexual immorality, divorce should not happen. Now, that doesn't mean automatically somebody commits sexual immorality and your marriage is over. Many times, many, many, many times, the Lord has given an unfaithful husband a, a gem of a wife that the Lord has given patience, long-suffering, endurance, strength to deal with a man who's unfaithful to her. And there's grace and compassion in there. And that is, again, like the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance is that grace, compassion, and kindness that that man finally uh, deals with his sin, repents and walks away and moves off from it, right? Maybe it's a woman as well. I'm just using that as the example. But uh, again, we're called to be loving. Husbands dwell with your wives with understanding, it says. There's that submission to one another. There's that love for one another. There's that beautiful picture of that relationship that God has established. And if we are violating that, we're dealing treacherously with each other, being unfaithful to each other, but more importantly, unfaithful to the Lord. It's what he's established. It says again, therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And then verse 17, it says, you've wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Now, I think it's interesting that this comes right after this because God's saying, hey, guys, 
you're doing all of these things that are evil and wicked, you're up, but you're, you think you're okay and you're presenting your offerings to me, you want me to do things for you, but you're not dealing with these issues. And now you're going off and you're complaining that all these evil things that are taking place, God's not dealing with them, that I'm not dealing with them. You say, where's the God of justice? God says, that's wearing me with your words, right? Now, Christian, brother, sister, we should be grieved at what is happening in the world around us. We should be crying out and asking for the God of justice to come um, and looking for him to come. That's what the end times are for. But at the same time, we need to understand that God is long patient, but long suffering and patient. Um, and, and his, his uh, patience is in dealing with us. Now, he already started this judgment and the justice on the cross with Jesus as he paid the price for our sins and gave access for us to uh, righteousness, to salvation. Um, and he judged sin and the devil on the cross. Um, and dealt with those things. And because of that work on the cross, we look forward to when he comes back and establishes his kingdom and he deals with the wickedness and the unrighteousness and the evil in the world. But again, we circle back around and we look at our hearts and our lives and say our sin has consequences, right? We, ha we have to take heed to our own spirits, right? We need to look at our hearts and our lives and we need to consider again, am I walking with the Lord? Am I opening doors up to things that are going to trip me up, stumble me up, or maybe even worse, lead me astray? Am I uh, guarding my spirit, guarding my heart? Am I guarding my home? Am I considering my relationship with my wife, maybe a future relationship that you have as being holy, that God has planned for you, that God has provided for you, right? Are, are, are you... Uh, considering how beautiful and wonderful it is that God has created these things? Or are you taking it for granted and kind of setting it aside, being unfaithful in your heart, which then leads to unfaithfulness in action, right? We need to deal with those things. So let's pray. Lord, these are heavy things looking at the condition of the church, Lord, and yet, uh, to be honest, for me, it's not surprising. Um, it's sad, but not surprising. There's a lack of uh, devotion to your word, a lack of holiness, a willingness to embrace other things in the world that then again are these open doors for sin, Lord. And yet, it is so heartbreaking to see what our children face, uh, what the world around us is facing, Lord, and I pray that you would strengthen the marriages in this church, Lord. I pray that if there are men here who are looking at pornography, that you would convict their hearts, Lord, as I know you already are, that they would repent, they would confess, Lord, of those sins, and they would have victory over them. They would slam the door shut, they would walk away from those things, they would cut off uh, the hand that causes them to sin, Lord, pluck out the eye that causes them to sin, Lord, that they would cut off those things, flee those things, Lord. If there is a woman, Lord, here who is dealing with those things as well, 
Lord, that, that you would convict her heart, that you would uh, show her that you've provided a way out of temptation, Lord, in every temptation that she faces as your daughter, Lord. The same thing for the men here as well, Lord. I pray that we as a church would be a church where we truly understand how much you love marriage, how much you hate divorce, how important it is that our relationships with our husbands, our wives, Lord, uh, are holy and pure before you, Lord, as you stand as witness between us, Lord, in our marriages. Lord, for those who are here who are not married, Lord, if that's the desire that you've placed on their hearts, that you would give them the blessing of your spirit and strength to keep themselves pure and separate until they are married, Lord. That you would, uh, again, give that way out of temptation for them as they uh, experience that all around us, Lord, um, those temptations. And I pray, Lord, that we, again, would be a holy people, set-apart people, that Uh, In our church, Lord, we would see that beautiful picture of Christ's love for the church and the marriages here, Lord, and that we would not deal treacherously with one another, being unfaithful to one another, but understand the true implications of our uh, holiness and our righteousness in you, Lord, as it affects us, it affects our relationship with you, it affects our relationships with our husbands and wives, our children, the people in this church, and even just the people that we meet on the street, Lord, it affects everything. And that we, again, would be a people that are holy and pure through the power of your spirit, Lord, and the work that you've done on the cross. We thank you, Lord, and I pray that you would bless the people that are going from here. If there is someone, Lord, tonight who is dealing with this, Lord, and I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would give them the strength Lord, to step out in faith, trusting you for your forgiveness, your grace, grace, your strength, the gift of your spirit, Lord, to walk forward from this, Lord, and to walk away from it, to shut the door. We ask this in your name. Amen.